Okay, hello and welcome back everybody. This is Ben Chiriboga, the Chief Growth Officer here at Nexel, coming to you with another This Legal Life podcast. If this is the first time that you are joining us on the podcast, uh, This Legal Life is where I go deep on a legal industry topic or just theme that everybody's whispering or talking about, be it silos, collaboration, be it work environments, client relationships, changing cultures, and everywhere, everything in between. It's really my chance to sit down with uh, the best in legal and talk about these topics. Today, I am really excited to be speaking with Mark Howe. I'm going to bring in Mark in a second, but let me just read out Mark's quick bio. Mark Howe is the head of marketing and business development at TDS. TDS is the largest independent law firm in Manitoba and one of the largest firms in Canada between Toronto and Calgary. The firm is also a Lex Mundi member law firm for Manitoba. For over 20 years, Mark has been working in the fields of marketing and business development in a variety of management and leadership positions the majority of his experience has been with sector-leading firms, including Thompson, Dorfman, Sweatman, Acumen Corporate Development, and Agricor United, Viterra. Mark, thank you so much for joining me on this Legal Life podcast. It's a pleasure, Ben. Thanks for inviting me. Let's, uh, let's jump right in. Um, I think uh, anything that... Uh, Anytime that we think about business development, I think we always talk a lot or think a lot about uh, the difference uh, between uh, the different types of uh, uh, firms and the different types of structures. I wanted to kick us off with something really important because today we're here to talk about the three pillars of client-facing business development and client relationships. And I want to start off with something really important, which is what does it mean to be client-facing versus non-client-facing? I think the distinction is really important when we start to dig into uh, this idea of the three pillars. So why don't we start maybe with that, with that, with that distinction here? Because I think it's important, right? Yeah, that sounds good. Um, I, I guess when my when my role transitioned out of marketing to be um, a BD-focused role when I restructured the department. Um, I kind of had a blank sheet to kind of redesign my position. So it's a mix of, I guess, behind the scenes support and client facing. The, the main focus behind the scenes, I am, I'm doing quite a bit of one-on-one -on -one BD coaching with partners and associates. And the, the client facing part of the role uh, is a mix of attending client feedback interviews with the managing partner, um, but I also am attending meetings with existing clients on service expansion, um, as well as potential new clients and prospects, uh, both in-person meetings and phone calls, sometimes with the lawyers, but also at times, depending on the situation, um, I'm, I may have the first call with the prospect mm -hmm. before making the, the connection or the introduction to the lawyer. So um, that's, I guess, to be brief, that's mm. what I'm talking about from my perspective on the client facing is, is not just behind the scenes. That yeah. You're kind of uh, you know, part of the client facing BD team. Yeah. 
So let's let's go a little bit deeper into that before we go in. So today we're talking about the three pillars. It's going to be in the description of the podcast. We, we already went into this, which, which really defines client facing. But, you know, you've been doing this for over 20 years and um, business development has not always been client facing. Right. There's kind of been an evolution toward client facing business development people and especially around client relationships. Do you want to say a little bit about why or what's happening today within the legal industry when we think about client facing client facing professionals that are um, legal professionals, quote unquote, not not practicing uh, attorneys really starting to be the first point of contact for for client development? Because I really think that this is a a new wave uh, that's happening and we see sort of uh, trickling and making its way into law firms today. So yeah, when you think about that, what's happening? Why why is this happening? Yeah, I think for a a variety of reasons and and I guess while it's new to legal, uh, the legal sector can be a bit of a, Mm -hmm. a laggard Sure. sector. So, um, you know, 20 years ago, I, I was in a B2B sales role mm-hmm. um, in, in a different industry. So I've kind of come full circle. And of course, the accounting firms were, were doing it before the law firms. Um, so I think it's just as these, as legal marketing evolves and develops, mm-hmm. I think it's just kind of part of the natural evolution. And I think some early trailblazers like mm-hmm. Steve Bell um, formerly at Wimble Carlisle, mm. kind of, you know, lawyers like precedents. So it can't be done until someone does it. Right. And then as more and more firms and more and more people have success in these client facing BD roles that are not lawyers, then I think those barriers just start to come down because there's proof and ev- evidence that it can be done and it can work. Absolutely. So shout out to Steve Bell, um, great uh, great friend to Nexel, and uh, to your point, you know Steve really sort of started this this client facing sales role um, and be business development role, um, and we're not afraid to sell sales here. I think sales is a good word here. Sales can uh, drive efficiency, um, and uh, yeah, and Steve really was a was a um, uh, a groundbreaker, I think, in that in that capacity. So why don't we um, why don't we get in? Um, to a little bit of the substance, which is something that you and I sort of share a passion about, which is this idea of three pillars. Now, again, uh, the three pillars, the description is in here, but what we're really talking about is, let's say a a framework, right? To really think about what's important whenever it comes to client-facing BD, right? People love frameworks. There's some people who love them more than others, and I think you and I tend to uh, tend to really like them, and we actually share a similar vision on the world. So why don't we first define what the three pillars are, and maybe after you define it, talk about briefly for for sake of time, you know how you how you arrived to the three pillars, um, and then maybe we can we can share some notes about how we sort of came to the uh, came to the same conclusions about what's important. So let's define the three pillars first. So okay, so the way uh, the way that and we're very aligned. We use almost yes, the exact right. same language. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess the where it started for me was um, when I restructured the, the department and then redefined my role. I have dual reporting to the managing partner and the chief operations officer, mm-hmm. and so they asked me to basically create a new job description. So the first place I started was okay, what are my priorities? You can't have twenty priorities, so I distilled it down to what are the three. The three priorities for this role, and yep. so those three pillars are really 
retention of business with existing clients and especially mm -hmm. you know the old 80 20 rule especially yes. the top 20 percent of those of the existing clients would be number one yep. number two would be expansion of services with existing clients and the third pillar would be acquisition of new clients so that's really where my focus is yeah which which is all you know revenue retention and growth. exactly exactly now i think a lot of people um know know some of these some people know all of these together but i think very few people or or, or maybe I, i'm not sure i'll just ask my question you know because the truth is is that the three kind of work together right and I, I they sort of support one another and i think that's really where the model starts to make a lot of sense right because it's almost a virtual cycle if you're listening to this right now you probably can't see the thing behind me but i'm pointing at a, a circle that sort of feeds on itself i wanted to ask you you know do you think that's right? You know, how did the three supports and over the course of your career, how have you seen the three of them kind of like support one another and play into play into one another? Because that's, I think, where a lot of the power of the model actually lies. Yeah, no, certainly they, you know, the circles kind of do overlap and, mm -hmm. you know, there, there are some uh, kind of efficiencies across those three, those three areas. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like you, you, know, you kind of need all three balls in the air yeah, at, right. at, at the same time. Um, and I'm not sure if this is exactly answering the, the, the question, um, but um, the way I've kind of looked at more implementation of those, mm -hmm. the three pillars, and especially working with, with the lawyers, mm -hmm. is I call it the, the three C's of mm -hmm. BD. I'm not, to be honest, I don't know if I came up with it or I read it or I heard it on a po podcast. I, I don't know. But um, culture, competency, yeah. and, and commitment. So creating and building and fostering an internal culture mm -hmm. of business development and then building that competency. So that's through, you know, training and coaching and things like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, or I guess maybe more so the, the training. And then um, the third C, the commitment. Um you know, there's some internal structures and then the BD coaching, and that's really the accountability piece. And uh, so when, the, when you look at your training, your coaching, and then policies, templates, tools, processes, and you kind of bundle that all together. Yeah. Um, and, and then that's, you know, the, uh, the implementation of um, those three pillars. Uh, I guess I don't know if that answers the question or not, but no, it, it it does. I mean, I think what you're what you're really saying is that there's a the three C's are sort of uh, the whenever the three circles go over, the three C's are sort of in the middle and make and make everything make everything really important uh, effectively. And they they kind of they kind of make the entire circle go around it in, in a way. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's accurate. And okay. um, but like like your diagram on the on the screen, mm -hmm. it it certainly. It certainly is a cycle. Of course, existing uh, clients can be referral sources, and so you know your raving fans can help with new client right. acquisition. So you know there's these kind of interlinkages. Yes, totally. Okay, so why don't we start to define uh, the first of the three uh, real buckets, um, and that's retention. Um, a lot of people claim that retention really is the most important, even though you have to sort of service all three and um, 
uh, really think about them, keeping all three of those balls together. But a lot of people put a lot of importance on retention. So do you want to sort of go through what is retention and then think of some of maybe the strategic initiatives that go behind retention? And then more importantly, you know, how do you think about retention in terms of priority, in terms of does it drive a lot? Does it, um, is that kind of the first port of call? Yeah, let's let's dig into retention a little bit maybe. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm certainly a believer and it's kind of marketing 101 right. that you know, it's, there's all kinds of studies that it sure. eight to 10 times more expensive to land a new client than keep one you already have. Yep. So, um, and I think that can be a challenge at times because I think it is kind of sexier to land new business than to keep the business you already have. So I think you certainly do need attention there because it could be maybe taken for granted sometimes. So kind of my checklist for client retention. So we do have a formal client feedback interview program we've been running over 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, that uh, one of the things I love the most about my job is going to see uh, big important clients with a managing partner. Yep. The firm does have um, formal client service standards. Um, so I think that's another important um, aspect. Um, I'm sure a lot of firms have this next one, but maybe not all firms. We have a um, formalized client satisfaction and complaints policy, and then mm. also a process. So fortunately, we don't get a lot of client complaints, but when we when we do, um, you know, there's a formal process around that. Um, alumni, you know, obviously the firm, a lot of the firms on this call, a big chunk of their key clients will be in-house counsel. And of course, a lot of uh, yeah. firms, lawyers that leave the firm end up going in-house with a client. So I think having a, a robust alumni program is a, is a key uh, client retention initiative. Um, and, and a lot of firms will, will obviously have an alumni program. We have client teams we built around our biggest clients, especially the ones we serve across multiple areas. So we act for a big mining client and we do their environmental, their yep. corporate commercial, labor and employment, litigation, real estate, IP. Um, and then, then the last one is I'm a little OCD about value added services. Mm. I think we've, we've moved um, far beyond the um, Know, the client seminars and the lunch and learns and the right. thought leadership that's just table stakes sure now and so you know trying to get really cr creative about you know what are some things that we can do of value for the client that doesn't show up on the bill yeah absolutely what um we could probably actually do a whole podcast on on client uh, added services and i agree with you a lot of a lot of the lunch and learn ideas are still sort of like table stakes now you want to say anything uh briefly about uh value added uh, services as a function of retention because i agree with you i think that this is kind of the blue ocean uh if you would whenever it comes to client retention today uh one that came up uh, so we had a client feedback interview last week, and uh, this client um, has grown quite a bit, and their legal needs have, have grown quite a bit. And they weren't they weren't quite ready yet to hire their first in-house lawyer, mm -hmm. but they but they were ready to hire a paralegal. And so the the lead relationship partner for that um, for that client referred them and introduced them to a recruiter mm -hmm. who helped them find a paralegal. And then when they shortlisted them and did the interviews, 
um, the lead partner with our firm sat mm -hmm. in on the interviews and interviewed the paralegals. And then she helped to onboard the paralegal and then she helped to train up the paralegal. And so that and the feedback from the client was that was extremely helpful and that paralegals working out fantastic. And you right. know, now the, the paralegals got a great relationship with the lead um, lawyer at, at our firm. And so maybe, maybe that's an example of something that's a value to a client that you typically maybe wouldn't think that yes, uh, a lawyer right. would help a client with on any right. given day. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know why I like that example? Because I, I think a lot of people think about value added in a in a very sector sort of focus and in, in a very client big uh, uh, focus um, persona or that's a marketing term but but a very big sector industry focus when the reality is is that it's very context specific right for the for the client um, and the value add really comes from something very nuanced um, yeah that's how I always think about it. I don't know if you agree with that but it seems like when you get to the thing that's really value added it's it's like the small things that count right? <laughs> or something like this. Yeah, I think it it doesn't have to be a technical legal problem that you're solving. It just needs to be a, a problem that needs to yeah, be right. solved. So another quick example is, and this was a prospect of ours. It was um, um, kind of a high on our prospect list, mm -hmm. a company that did was at the point where they were looking to hire their first in-house lawyer. And one of our partners knew knew of another in-house lawyer that was looking to make a move looking to make a change and she mm -hmm. connected the dots made the introduction and uh, now the gc at this uh the first gc at this company um our partner basically mm -hmm. helped this prospect to find that person yeah yeah totally yeah great great example Okay, I um I want to be mindful of your t of your time. So and we still have two uh, two other buckets here. So let's go into expansion. Um, and I think expansion has a lot of baggage that comes with it. A lot of people call this cross selling. A lot of people call this um, um, a variety of different different uh, uh, different sort of names today. Everybody wants to do it, but it's very hard to orchestrate today. Um, so. You yeah, it comes with a lot of baggage. Really difficult to do, very hard to collaborate and coordinate. There's a trust layer that I know you're going to talk about, but there's also just like a naming problem today in the world of cross-selling, cross, -selling, cross uh, uh, well, you're going to tell us. Um, so you have a, you have a, you have a term that you, uh, that you prefer. So why don't we start with what is, ex what is expansion? And then what are maybe some of the, uh, one of the traditional uh, programs that kind of fall under expansion? And then we'll go a little bit deeper there. Right. Um, so I, I I think I'm probably like a lot of people that when they first started at a at a law firm saw this <laughs> as the low hanging fruit and I saw right. all this huge opportunity and then I, right. it didn't take too long to realize that this fruit's actually at the very top of the tree. Um, is uh, you know in theory sure. there's a huge opportunity here, but in, in practicality it's yeah. a little more daunting. Um, so yeah, the. I don't really like the term cross-selling or even cross-marketing. I, I prefer a more client-centric mm -hmm. term. Um, it's obvious what's in it for the law firm fees, mm -hmm. sure. but you know, put the client's hat on. What, what's in it for the client to right. do more business with you? So I think you kind of have to think about that. What are the additional benefits or value for the client for um, you know using you mm -hmm. in this whole new area? So service expansion is the term that I prefer to, to use. 
it's just a kind of a subtle sure. nuance, but um, so and I'm a bit obsessive about this topic. So I've every article, podcast, webinar um, I come across. Um, so I've really tried to go deep on this topic. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not I'm not aware of a lot of firm wide initiatives or practice group initiatives and certainly mm-hmm. at our firm that have been highly successful. The most success mm-hmm. I've seen in this area is the one on one program mm-hmm. and that's back to the trust. You know, no, no one's going to refer something to someone with their important client if there's not trust. So it's kind of the internal um, mm-hmm. connecting the dots and doing the, the kind of the matchmaking almost. Um, so that, that's where I think that that opportunity is. Yeah, totally. Do you want to talk a little bit about trust and determining trust or orchestrating trust and maybe in your role, you know, what what does there's there's a there's a lot of marketing and business development leads here that are going to be thinking about this. You know, trust is this big word, but what does it mean today and how do you think about it for the, for purposes of let's say cross cross serving? Um yeah. So yeah, I'll touch on the on the trust topic for sure, but maybe if I can just go back, I guess the other element I think before sure. trust and, and this is kind of obvious, I, I guess, but um, I would anyone listening to this, I would ask how good of a job are you doing around awareness and education? Because any mm-hmm. any firm of uh, you know more than maybe sixty lawyers, mm-hmm. not everyone knows what everybody is doing, and maybe that maybe the global firms have some kind of sophisticated mm-hmm. systems mm-hmm. to kind of um, identify this. But I think maybe certainly kind of mid market regional firms, it's maybe a bit more of a challenge. So mm-hmm. does, does every lawyer know every other lawyer specialized area and even industry depth, maybe a different language they speak, maybe a license to practice in a different jurisdiction. And so it's difficult to you know, expand these services into these new areas if if you don't know what everybody does. Yep. Um, so I think that education and awareness is kind of the step one. But the, on, the, yeah. on, the, on the trust, it's more um you know who are who who are our friends that socialize together um and already do work together mm-hmm. um you know it's kind of like you know the warm introduction versus the cold call so if there's two lawyers at the firm that have never really worked together and and uh don't really socialize or go for lunch together the the chances that they're going to be referring work to each other um no, is not nearly as high as it's going to be as as if they're buddies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. totally. Okay. I um I think that there was there's so much more, and especially I, I take your point around the around the education and awareness piece. People need to know who knows who in this capacity, right? Um, and that's and that's vitally important and um quite frankly can be incredibly challenging and difficult um, um sometimes, especially as you sort of scale. Um especially as you start to hold multiple offices, right? Right outside of regional areas, outside of time zones, this can get incredibly difficult. And I know um, a lot of people uh, struggle with this. So if you're listening to this and this is your world, you know, I think we, we, we feel your pain here. Um, we could go a little bit more into trust, but I think, again, let's, let's move forward and, and let's close the circle, if, if you will. And then at the end, I want to kind of come back and 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 go on to the three C's and and help you wrap up because the three C's are kind of like the engine I think that uh, that helps all three of these big uh, big buckets big programs uh, go. But let's 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 
end with acquisition of new clients. Why don't we define it first? And then uh, for everybody listening, I know you have a distinction here between farming and hunting, right? And um, acquisition, of course, is the sexy thing uh, that everybody likes to do. And there's two different ways to do it, right? Um, uh, to think about it. And I, that farming versus hunting distinction is important. But let's define it first. What are we talking about when we talk about acquisition? Yeah, so um, yeah, the, the farming and the hunting, I think, are kind of like two halves of the whole. I think you need mm -hmm. to kind of um, thinking about when is the right time to act like a hunter versus a farmer. And so I think about it as before the client contact, be the hunter, you know, search for those opportunities and um, the you know the targeting and then after what, the, the next phase when it comes to the contact with the potential client i think that's the time to be more like the farmer mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and nurture the relationship mm -hmm. yeah okay absolutely right does um does it matter does it matter the type of client the difference between the type of client you know the size or the sector is is there any distinction in terms of in terms of the hunting? i know it's kind of the relationship i guess but any other ways that people can sort of think about the difference between hunting and farming that's a good question i don't know if i have an answer to mm -hmm. that but what i would say is to take it back to the client facing role i think it does mm -hmm. depend on um like for example if the law a lawyer is on the first call that i'm making or not mm -hmm. if it's a company that uh has in-house counsel i think like almost 100 percent of the time it makes sense for a lawyer to be there but if it's mm -hmm. a more of a mid-sized company um you know like a uh some kind of a privately held business that mm -hmm. you're in contact with a CFO or or a VP or the CEO or some and there is no in-house right. counsel then I, I'd find um, those are the times when I'll say you know what or I'll, I'll hear on the first call I just like to talk to you we can bring in the lawyers at the next step right um, so um, I think that that element you know the type of client it, it applies but I otherwise, no, I think generally, at least what I found in, mm -hmm. in my approach is um, on, you know, the at the first half mm -hmm. to the targeting, the, the hunting questions are, you know, what does your ideal client look like? What is your criteria or methodology for identifying a prospect? What research do you do on the prospect? What's your competitive, competitive intelligence mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. look like? Um, how do you identify decision makers and how do you identify connections into those decision makers? Um, how are you going to get the first meeting? Um, are, how are you going to yeah, ask for the first meeting? So those to me are kind of more the, the hunting traits. And then yeah. um, when you move into the kind of the farming phase, um, you know, how what's your style and approach and mindset for um that first contact i'm a big big believer in kind of personal fit so kind of you know what's the personality mm -hmm, type mm -hmm, of person mm -hmm. you're meeting with are they super extroverted super introverted are they very very risk averse or are they kind of like the entrepreneurial cowboy that uh right. makes the lawyers sweat um and uh <laughs> like again what kind, what kind of questions are you going to be ask uh, asking at that 
meeting? How do you add value and build the relationship? Right. Um, what What is your follow up yeah. look like? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how are you going to move things forward when you get the first file? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how are you going to treat that first file? Because that may might be the important, most important file. Yep. Um, yeah, th- those are kind of the the typical kinds of questions I would kind of ask in the farming phase. Yeah, love it. Okay, so let's um let's try to bring all of this together as we kind of wrap up and get us nice and smooth out of here, which is I want to bring you maybe a practical question. And you can answer this question from 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 how you manage your time whenever it comes to these three strategies or, you know, how you coach maybe lawyers uh, to, to manage their time. But when we take a look at the three buckets, you know, wh- where are you putting your time? You know, you got you got you got five hours of the day, six hours, sorry, in the week, let's say to do this. How do you break up your time between retention, between expansion, between acquisition? How do you well, let's not ask a, a double question. How, how do you think about it? Maybe maybe start with, you know, the client facing business development person. What What, what, what do you think there? So um, I do have dedicated time slots blocked off in my calendar mm-hmm. on a weekly basis for yep. um, you know client retention activities and um, prospecting kind of mm-hmm. hunting activities. So I just have reoccurring yep. slots of time blocked off for focused time. And then we have built some structure in currently in, in the firm mm-hmm. around um, well, different internal groups and you know re- there's different reoccurring um monthly meetings and and quarterly meetings and so there is time kind of planned out to um kind of cover off those those three um the three topics mm-hmm. and um so yeah basically build into your plan and your your calendar um activities that support those three objectives yeah totally well i will double click on that and uh, say i'm a huge fan of time blocking i really think that once you start time blocking things really start short changing to-do list way overrated time blocking very underrated right it uh, it, it it has this extra thing which is one it helps you plan your next day because you know where your where your mental space is going to be and it also gets you ready sort of for for those blocks of time it's just it's such a simple uh, it's such a simple practice but i think at the end of the day moving from to-do lists uh, which tend to be other people's to-dos to like a time blocking which is your own to-dos um, so anyway yeah. lo- love love time blocking really i think um, and especially whenever it comes to business development um, time blocking can really be an, inc- an incredible asset uh, if you start to love it correctly i think that also helps you to move out of reactive, reactive. And, yes and right firefighting totally and then um you know you know the uh focusing on the important and not not necessarily the urgent yes yeah um have you ever come across the eisenhower matrix which is this idea of like you know what what can you delegate what needs to be done what can only you do versus what you know needs to like go away that's another it it sort of is time i use it in relationship to my time blocking so i like will think about everything and maybe i'm doing overdoing it or whatever but you know it's it's really around what can what is absolutely important and only you can do and then that kind of helps you sort of filter through i don't know if you've ever come across it um if you listening have let me know uh, i'd love to hear uh, whatever what other uh, time management um uh, techniques you've done 
So, uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm a bit familiar with that one. I'm going to have to dig into it a, sure. a little more, but certainly the uh, uh, Stephen Covey seven yes, habits, right. matrix seven habits, would be yeah. ur ur urgent and important. And, and yes. uh, um, I, I certainly find that to be helpful to kind of uh, break up the to-do list so you're, you know, you're focusing on the, the important, totally. not just, you know, the, not letting, not just greasing the uh, squeaky wheel. Exactly. So let's um so let's uh, move this out of here nice and nice and easy. I'm gonna ask you um uh, one other question, which is you know let's let's say you've been doing this for for a long time now. Uh, let's say you're at the start of your business development career. You love this model. You really you really resonate with it. Where do you focus your time? You're coming into a new firm. Um, maybe you don't have as much uh, capital and political uh, sway as you want, you know, but you really want to bring in something. Where, where, does, where does Mark uh, tell the young business development to focus his or her or their time uh, if, they, if they really like this model here? Uh, well, I'm a big believer in play to your strengths. Mm, yeah. Um, and then, of course, it's all about trust and relationships so mm, right. uh, to kind of identify you know i guess it's kind of targeting your your, your internal market mm -hmm. and whoever you have good rapport with and um you have some early successes and you know you're starting to build a relationship mm -hmm. focus on on those people and then to you know to kind of further prioritize within that group you know certainly the opinion leaders and those that have right. sway um, that if you can get some momentum and, and headway with those people, mm -hmm. you know, the water cooler talk mm -hmm. and the real thing. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, um, you know, it'll just start spreading kind of by diffusion or osmosis and the word mm -hmm. will kind of get around and other people will, will come around. Um, and I think you'll certainly know your, your, your limitations. So, while we're all, you know, working on areas for improvement, I think that, um, you know, it, it's a better approach to to really focus on your on your strengths mm -hmm. and what you're really good at, and that typically is also where your passion is as well. And so, you know, if you want to bring your a a game, if you yeah. connect your strengths to your passions, you're going to bring your a game. Yeah, totally, totally. I I agree with you. Always playing for your strengths, weaknesses. Overrated. Play, play to your strengths, right? Uh, basically, it's um, there's lots of people who are good at lots of different things, and uh, I think playing to your strengths is always a lot, a lot, a lot better and gets you a lot farther. If nothing else, it's because you'll like doing it, basically, and you'll continue to to basically do it. The the, the other thing I think I would I would say is um, be humble. Yeah. And uh, I think the the best way to kind of blow your own horn is by not blowing mm. your own horn. Yeah, and so um, sometimes when there's um, insecurities, there you know people want kind of the the recognition, but if you uh, you know give other people the the recognition, yes, right, right, um, th that'll come back in spades, I think. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, totally. Platforming and uh, sort of paying it forward. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, uh, we've taken enough of your time, Mark. Thank you so much for bringing on us on uh, on this Friday, beginning of the uh, beginning of the year here uh, for everybody. Um, what's, uh, what's, what's going on with Mark over the course of the next quarter or TDS? Anything that you, uh, you want to plug, promote, anything we should be uh, open ears about? 
Um, so I guess in the very short term, uh, next week we have our annual labor and employment year in review. So we're covering a range of HR topics from immigration to uh, um, reconciliation with uh, indigenous uh, communities, mm -hmm. which is a, a big thing, especially in Canada. I'm not sure how big of a topic mm -hmm. that is in the, in the US, but um, and we're also covering, you know, that the, the more traditional um, labor and employment and, and HR topics, one being uh, remote workers and yep. uh, things like that. So that's, I guess, next week. Um, as far as uh, personally, I'm going to be doing a uh, family trip out east in Canada in March. So looking looking forward to that. How yeah. about you? What, what, what have you got on the on the horizon, Ben? We will on the uh, on the personal front, just trying to stay alive in uh, in Chicago winter. Hopefully, um, after coming uh, a beautiful a beautiful month of December in Florida. You know, Florida is, uh, doesn't have that many uh, not hot seasons, but December is certainly one of them. So, uh, just trying to survive here in Chicago. Well, I think that uh, I think that wraps up. Any uh, any last words? Any final words uh, before we get out of here, Mark? I uh, don't think anything I can think of off the top of my head other than uh, I'm a big podcast geek and uh, especially yeah. legal marketing and BD podcast. That's kind of what I listen to when I exercise. So nice. I, I look forward to listening to future Nexel podcasts. Absolutely. Well, we are rebranding this and re-kicking this off. We're actually going to be launching this formally uh, in February, and uh, it's awesome to have you on. I think this has been a long time coming. Thank you so much, Mark. And thank you to everybody else listening today. This was another This Legal Life podcast, uh, sitting down with Mark Howe of TDS. Thanks so much, Mark. Mm -hmm.